0: Well, Good morning, everybody. So good to worship with you at this beautiful service, just incredible music we've gotten to participate in and to celebrate a baptism and see how God is working in this place and That first hymn is one of my favorite hymns, Worship the King. I remember back as a grade schooler, I was taking piano lessons, and one of my goals was to eventually be able to sight-read hymns out of the LBW, and that was one of the first hymns that I was able to play on the piano, and so it's always been kind of a, a favorite of mine, and of course, great words, thinking about God as our king. But I started to think how when we think of God as a king, sometimes it can make him feel kind of unapproachable, kind of almost too holy. Have you ever thought that before? Maybe like, you know, God just merely tolerates me. You know, I've disappointed him in so many different ways. And so, you know, God just kind of puts up with us. And what I want you to think about this morning is that God doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just put up with you. In fact, he loves you beyond imagination. Like this morning when you wake up and maybe you go in and you're, you're getting ready in the morning and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, doesn't look so good today. And remember what God says about you. He says, you're not just good. He says, you're very good. And that he has good thoughts for you and he has good plans for you. And it's out of his grace and his mercy that he has that loving, outlook and so don't ever forget yes God is king and God is over uh, sovereign over everything but he also is a personal God who loves you beyond measure and so I think that's something we need to remember each and every day just the amazing grace and mercy of God so we're finishing up a sermon series today called the games people play and if you've been with us for a number of weeks, you'll know we've been just focusing on some very popular board games that many of us maybe grew up playing or, or games that we like to play with our family from time to time. And I think what we found is that these games have some important lessons that they teach us. But they're not just important lessons because uh, they're also consistent with what the Bible teaches. And so as we've dug into a few of these games, we've seen God, I think, communicating to us about our relationships, about our faith, and about our daily life. If you were with us when we kicked the series off, we looked at my very favorite board game, which was Scrabble. Scrabble's a, a game that's kind of like a crossword puzzle. And some of the lessons we, we talked about are how it's important for us as the body of Christ to remain connected together. That we're better together, and when we use our gifts and our talents that God has given us in different unique ways, well then we can best further God's mission in the world to introduce people to Jesus and to spread the gospel far and wide. If you were here last week, we looked at the game Battleship, and we talked about how important it is for us to be good, maybe not just good, but to be great at conflict resolution, because every one of our relationships means that there are multiple sinners coming together. And because there is sin in every relationship, it means there's going to be friction, and there's going to be division, and there's going to be conflict. And kind of the, the, the thing that's problematic is that oftentimes the church, the large C church, can be some of the worst at conflict resolution. And it really is a poor witness to the rest of the world. And so we saw how throughout Scripture, God teaches us to become the very best at conflict resolution. And he took the first step in sending Jesus for each one of us. Well, today I want to close the series out by talking about another game, and that game is Clue. Now, hopefully a majority of you have maybe played Clue or at least familiar with the game Clue. It's been around for quite a while. It was invented in 1944. And it's been at the top of the game charts almost ever since. Now, a little refresher, Clue is a game of mystery and intrigue. And every character in the game is a suspect in a murder that's taken place. Now, within this game, each time you play, there are 324 different possible conclusions that are possible. 324 different outcomes that are possible. And you have three variables that you're trying to figure out. You want to figure out who did it, and where did they do it, and with what weapon did they use. And you play the role of the detective, trying to solve the crime before any of the other players. Now, if you've ever played this game before, or if you saw the campy 1980s movie, you'll recognize the structure that is always used when you think you figured out the crime. You would say something like, I believe it is Professor Plum in the living room with the candlestick. And you hope that you figured out the crime in the best way. But I was thinking about how we could use that st- same structure and we could play a game of biblical clue. So I'm going to test you out for a moment. You don't have to talk to anyone. You can just play in your head. But if I were to ask the question, who defeated Jericho? Think through those three variables. What I hope you would conclude is it was Joshua around the walls of the city with trumpets. So let's try another one. Who defeated Goliath? I heard people say, Deli- or say David. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the place is a little more difficult. It's the Valley of Ella. And he used what? Slingshot, right? And I think also that our life can be like a game of Clue. And the reason for this is because we are surrounded day to day with many mysteries and many questions. Really, oftentimes it feels like we're on a quest to try to find purpose, and to try to find meaning, and to try to find fulfillment. Now, sometimes we experience valleys in life, maybe even tragedies, and they cause us to ask the big questions of why. Why did this happen? Why did God allow this to happen? And during those times and other times of life, we long to find answers that we can cling to. And we long to find a place that we can find the hope that we need and so during the course of our life we embark on this quest to ask life's greatest questions what is the meaning of life why are we here on this earth is life really worth living and we might go in all different directions and take all different avenues to try to answer these questions we look around in our culture and around in our world we see people going from one thing to another to try to answer these big important questions. Now the thing is when you look at the Bible you also find many different people asking these very similar questions and they too look in any and all places around them. Now, the good news is that God invites us to ask these questions to him, to seek to find our answers in him. But it's, of course, easier said than done. Now, one of the places in the Bible where we see this quest, this quest to find purpose and meaning and direction in life, is the book of Ecclesiastes, which is in the Old Testament, and we heard a portion of that read in our Bible reading. Ecclesiastes is all about King Solomon's search for purpose and all the different methods and all the different places that he tried to search. And at the end of the book, after going everywhere around the world that he could, he finally comes to one important conclusion that is still important for each one of us today. And so the book of Ecclesiastes is really the writings and the the ponderings of a man who even though he is a king, even though he is powerful, even though he has more wealth than we could ever relate to, in the end, he is still clueless, just like many of us. Solomon had every opportunity to search for answers. He had endless resources at his disposal. And in the end, he comes up with this one all-important, conclusion now if you play the game of clue there are six different suspects of the crime and as the game progresses you learn as you represent one of those characters that even you could be the one who is guilty of the crime now i think this is true in real life too every single suspect is guilty every one of us is guilty in the eyes of god You might remember the very beginning of the story in the book of Genesis. And if we were to talk about it in clue terminology, we would say Satan did it in the Garden of Eden with the forbidden fruit. And Adam and Eve, they caved into their temptation and their longings. And sin entered into humanity. And the history of the world has never been the same. Not too long after that, if you read a little bit further into Genesis, you right away, you see the the implications of the sin and brokenness that is now a part of humanity. And so we see how Cain, he did it in the field with a rock. He killed his brother Abel. And it was all downhill from there. Now you remember, eventually, God becomes so frustrated with the sin and the brokenness of the world That he takes drastic measures. And so God destroyed the whole earth with a flood. But yet, in his grace, he saved Noah and his family. Sin fractured and ruined our relationship with God, but he was still active and he was still graceful and he was still merciful. Our hearts and our minds and our wills are broken. Yet God still is aiming for a better and a new future. Well, King Solomon, he lived a thousand years before Jesus did. And God gifted him with great wisdom. And he began to search for what was lost because of sin in our world. And he asked these big questions, questions like, what makes life worth living in the first place? You know, today, I think in our world, people are asking that same question and they have no idea how to answer it. Well, as we heard in our Bible reading, Solomon begins in chapter one of Ecclesiastes by saying, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. It's not the most inspiring way to start, right? It's not in too many Christian greeting cards that we send someone. But it's awfully honest right? Solomon is struggling in the way that many of us do from day to day. He recognized the futility of much of what we spend our time on. In chapter 2, verse 11, he finally says, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. Now he says that same phrase nine different times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's such a great image, right? Chasing the wind. Is there anything more pointless than that? I mean, do you ever feel that way? Like you're just chasing after the wind from day to day? Well, the truth is, anything that does not bring glory to God is ultimately like chasing after the wind. Ultimately, it is meaningless in the scheme of eternity. Now, just like Solomon, though, we try everything under the sun. We try to look every place that we can, and we come up with very few answers. And so we, too, can feel lost, and we can feel disconnected. And in the end, we can feel like we're chasing the wind. Now, in the game of Clue, there are nine different rooms where the crime could have, been t- could have taken place. And Solomon tells us in chapter 2 and beyond in the book of Ecclesiastes that he went every place possible to try to find the answers to his questions, to find purpose and to find meaning and to find fulfillment. So he scoped out all of the neighborhoods of his city, and he went to all of his houses and all of his palaces, which are beyond anything we could imagine. And he went and he searched through gardens and parks And he was still trying to find the place that would bring him peace and meaning. Well, then it says that Solomon traveled to foreign lands. He could fly anywhere on earth. And yet he still came up empty. You know, when you think about it as human beings, it's amazing where we will go oftentimes to try to find meaning and purpose. Some people choose to climb up mountains. Other people choose to ski down mountains. Some people move to the country. Some people move to the city. People are on a perpetual quest to find their meaning and to find their purpose. Now, sometimes we eventually end up going to places that compromise our morals and our values and our character. And eventually, in those places, we feel empty and we feel meaningless and we feel at a loss. Again, it's just like Solomon said, it feels like we're chasing after the wind. Now in Clue, there are six different sinister instruments that can be used to commit the murder. You've got the rope, the lead pipe, the knife, the wrench, the candlestick, or the pistol. Now if you were with us when we kicked the series off a couple weeks ago, we passed out Scrabble Tiles. So for a moment with the staff, we were thinking, well, maybe we could pass out little weapons. We thought that was a horrible idea. So (laughs) you'll have to use your imagination. Look what I got at church today. Uh. (laughs) But Solomon, in, in his time and in the book of Ecclesiastes, he explored every method that he could to find fulfillment and to find peace and meaning. He tried education. He tried knowledge. He tried wisdom. He studied every book he could find, and he only found emptiness. Well, then he tried pleasure. And imagine what he had access to, the best art, the fl- finest clothes, the best books and entertainment, the best vacations. He could have anything he wanted, but he said it still left him incomplete. Well, then he tried work. I mean, what does a person get for hard work, he asks. said, really nothing, because you have to leave everything you earn behind one day. He tried political power. He consolidated empires. The Bible says there were 40 years of peace on earth. I'm not sure there's another time in all of history where there were 40 years of peace in a row all over the earth. But even though he was able to accomplish that, Solomon still was searching. He tried wealth. He was richer than any person to ever live The Bible says the queen of Sheba came to visit and she was blown away by his riches. Yet in chapter five, verse 10, Solomon says, those who love money will never have enough. This is the guy who has the biggest bank account in history. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Well, he tried romance. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines. And he still felt alone. Maybe it was trying to remember a thousand anniversaries. It would be a tough task, right? Be the most popular guy at the flower shop. In the same way, though, I think we have the tendency to be restless in our search, jumping from thing to thing, place to place, opportunity to opportunity, trying to find meaning. It reminds me of a fisherman who was fishing off a pier, and he caught a whole stringer of little sea bass. He was feeling pretty good about himself, and so he was walking back to his car down the pier, and he came across a man who had just come off a boat, and he had caught this gigantic marlin. It was like the size of him. And the man with the little stringer of bass looked at him, and he said, only caught one, huh? I think eventually, in our quest to try to find meaning and purpose, as we jump from thing to thing, from bass to bass, we suddenly realize it really is only about the one big catch. It's like the parable that Jesus once told about the pearl of great price, the man who sold everything he had for that one big catch. After a very complete and thorough search, Solomon comes to a big conclusion. He's had this very depressing and discouraging quest, and now is the glimmer of hope. Chapter 12, verse 13. Here's what Solomon says. Here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. He's tried everything under the sun. And he says, in the end, fear God and obey his commands. You want to know the meaning of life? You want to find purpose and fulfillment? Respect God above anyone else. Have a healthy fear of him, even. And then obey God, because in the end, you will stand only before him. And you see, what Solomon has found, and he's trying to teach us today... Is that without God at the center of your life, you don't have a clue. This mystery was solved on the most impactful weekend in all of history. The beginning of the weekend was that Judas, he did it with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he betrayed his friend Jesus. And Jesus went on to take all the sins of history And all of your sins and mine. He took on all of our sin and brokenness willingly and freely. And he found a way to cure our spiritual condition once and for all. And at the end of the game, there's only a couple cards that really matter. And that's this. Jesus did it at Calvary on the cross. Now do you know that? Not just in your head, but in your heart. Do you know that personally? Have you experienced that good news for yourself? Or are you still trying to make your way through a stringer of sea bass, jumping from one illusion to another? You see, the ultimate answer to life is found in the cross. We're invited to put our trust in him and in doing so, we will find the most incredible meaning and purpose. But, church, it doesn't stop there. Because when we understand that amazing truth, when we experience it for ourselves, we have a new responsibility. We need to help others get a clue. Because our world and our country and our community is full of people who are searching for answers. And when you've found the answer, you simply can't keep it to yourself. And it's because people's eternities are on the line. And so as we seek to respond to God's amazing grace, I think there are three things that we need to keep in mind today and into the future. Number one, remember John the Baptist He came to prepare the way for Jesus, and he was preaching, and he was baptizing until Jesus came on the scene. And in John chapter 3, verse 30, he says this amazing thing. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. There's other translations that say, he must become greater, and I must become lesser, John models for us what spiritual maturity looks like. The more we experience God's grace, the more we grow in our faith, the less it's about us. You see, when we understand the seriousness of the situation, that people without Jesus are lost and they're destined for an eternity apart from God, then we start to realize that my wants and desires and preferences really matter less and less and less. Now we know churches are often notorious for expending all sorts of energy fighting about insignificant things. The color of the carpet, which song we should sing or not sing, what people should wear or not wear. Meanwhile, people around us within a stone's throw are perishing without Jesus, and that should break our heart. We need to ask ourselves, are we content to just come and play church on Sunday morning while people are lost and dying all around us? Are we going to be so inward focused that we completely miss Jesus's commission to go out and make disciples. You see, church, real spiritual maturity means sacrifice. It's not one of our favorite words, right? Sacrifice is hard. Real spiritual maturity means sacrifice. It's recognizing that in the end, it's not about me. It's about my neighbor who needs Jesus. Now, sacrifice means giving up sometimes something we love, for something we love more. I'll say that one more time. Sacrifice means giving up sometimes something we love for something we love more. So do we love Jesus and his mission more than our own personal preferences? Church, we have the greatest gift that's ever been given in the history of the world and we simply can't keep it to ourselves. It leads to number two. Because of the gift of Jesus, we are called to invest and invite. Our tendency as people who are church people is to hang out with each other. Sometimes we call it the holy huddle or the Christian bubble. And it's just natural, right? We like to hang out with people who are like us and believe the same things as us. But the thing is, Jesus calls us to get outside our bubble and to go reach people for him. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, not just where you're comfortable. And so what I want you to understand is that you are going on a mission trip this week. And before you say, well, I haven't bought my plane ticket and I forgot to pack and I don't have a permission slip or whatever else, you're going on a mission trip wherever you go this week. Your place of work, your school, your neighborhood, anywhere you go in the community and beyond, You're called to be a missionary. You're going into the mission field. There are people who need to experience Christ's love through you. You're going on a mission trip. And we want to hear how it goes. Come back and share with us the stories of where you see God showing up. Now, before you get too bogged down and that sounds too complicated and I'm not qualified and do I need to go back to school, it simply starts with building relationships, investing into others. Go meet a neighbor that you've never met before. Invite somebody over for dinner. Invest in building relationships. You don't need to make it more complicated than that. Just get to know someone better. And then the second step is be willing to invite. When the Holy Spirit opens the door, be ready to invite them to come to church with you, to come to your small group, come to the block party in September. Invite them to join you. Third and finally, I think every one of us each day should ask the question, what's your next step? What's my next step? because following Jesus is always a growing experience we don't graduate this side of heaven that's why our mission statement here at Calvary is leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus not a static relationship with Jesus no following Jesus is a growing experience Whether you've been a believer for 95 years or 95 days, there's still another step that you can take. Now, I love how at Calvary we have such a diversity of ages and backgrounds and experiences. And I've so enjoyed hearing people's stories, especially people who say, you know, for 70 or 80 or 90 years, I've been following Jesus And yet, I'm excited because I'm still growing in my faith. There's this contagious joy and excitement when people realize that God's not done with us yet. Healthy things always grow. So how will you continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Maybe it's finding a new way to serve. Maybe it's coming to our Bible classes that are starting up in the fall on Sunday mornings. What an incredible opportunity. Maybe it's joining a small group. We're going to be kicking off small groups in January, and I'm so excited. How are you going to take another step of faith today, and then tomorrow, and then the next day? You see, in Jesus, we have the answer to life's greatest questions Don't take it for granted. Don't sit back and coast. Jesus wants you to be on an adventure with him. And that adventure is so, so much better than anything this world has to offer. Amen.